Welcome to Virgin Territories, a podcast by the CSPH. Each episode, we bring you new guests, new topics, and ask all the questions you're dying to know. Without further ado, please welcome your host, Viva Manfredo. Welcome back, everyone, to Virgin Territories, a podcast by the CSPH. I'm your host, Vima Manfredo, and today I'm accompanied by a Red V from the HEAL Project. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Vima. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. Great to be back at the CSPH after almost a decade when I used to be an intern there. Uh, so, yes, my name is Red V. Azad, and uh, I'm a certified uh, coach and sex and relationship educator. Uh, and I also work as the director of education and programs at the HEAL Project. Uh, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the HEAL Project, uh, we are a BIPOC, trans, non-binary, survivor-led educational initiative. And we work on preventing and ending childhood sexual abuse through healing the wounds of sexual oppression and embracing sexual liberation. And it's, it's a wonderful organization. Um, so how do you use education? I'll just jump right in. <laughs> um, how, do, how do you use education as the means of creating a cultural shift in how we understand recovery and all that? Yes, absolutely. So at the Hill Project, uh, and our founder, Ignacio Rivera, uh, who's uh, been working on the Hill Project for almost two decades, uh, the belief that we have is that violence doesn't happen in a vacuum, uh, right? Violence uh, happens when the conditions for violence are uh, provided because of all the systems uh, that kind of fail us in society. So uh, in order for us to really address uh, a form of violence that I think almost everyone can agree is one of the most heinous form of, forms of violence, which is childhood sexual abuse, we really need to uh, begin uh, doing that work of cultural shift. Uh, we need to start looking at the systems uh, that create the conditions for uh, childhood sexual abuse to happen. Uh, and at the core of that, what we really see, the work that we uh, do, is uh, giving edu providing education for parents, caregivers, youth advocates, and really anyone who works with children um, so that uh, they could provide children, they could equip them and empower them uh, with the right language, with the right information about their bodies, boundaries, agency, what it's like to have uh, a good friendship, uh, what are the red flags of a friendship, right? How do we build relationships? What does good human co uh, connection look like? So we really believe that uh, at any age, there is uh, information that as a life is skill, uh, adults can teach children uh, that can really empower them to, first of all, prevent childhood sexual abuse from happening uh, and ultimately ending this pandemic altogether. And how, how can education provide us with those tools? What, what can education give parents and give aunts, uncles, and the, the adults around these children the correct tools? Yeah, so... Uh, for example, uh, actually the biggest uh, issue that happens when we talk about uh, sex education, and uh, we like to call it holistic sexuality education because, uh, so like there is comprehensive sex education, right, which is um, kind of the opposite of what we know as abstinence-only education. So instead of uh, telling children sex is, you know, not for you, not for you to think about, talk about, wait till suddenly the day of your marriage or right before, we'll give you everything you need to know. So this 
then comprehensive sex education came along and was like, no, let's actually have um, scientifically informed database uh, information about bodies and about uh, sexual relationships and sexual health and safety. Um, and that's still very much controversial in this country, right, uh, as to when and how that information needs to be shared with uh, children. Uh, and then what we work on, we call that holistic sexuality education. Uh, we think it's wonderful to be talking about health and safety when it comes to sexual relationships, but uh, holistic sexuality education really puts sex and sexual connections into a broader context of uh, the society. We think we can't really, you know, teach a child about uh, romantic relationships, sexual relationships without talking about racism, ableism, sexism. Uh, those, those are important conversations that have historically shaped and continue to shape how we think about our bodies, our boundaries, uh, who we can speak up against or when we can set our boundaries. So, we can't just teach consent in a vacuum of here is how we say no and yes. We need to be teaching consent within those uh, contexts of, well, here are the dynamics that are present, right? Uh, so we call this holistic sexuality education. And uh, it's important that uh, the people who are teaching it, first and foremost, uh, learn it themselves, right? A lot of times with sex education, especially for children, the problem is that adults, especially caregivers and parents, they themselves have never learned the skills necessary, what we're talking about here, to you know, have ownership over their own body, understand bodily autonomy, uh, understand how to say no, and also how to take a no. But those are both pieces, important pieces of uh, consent education. So a lot of parents and caregivers, they themselves have never really learned that. They carry a lot of shame around these issues. Uh, so our work is, uh, on one side, helping parents and caregivers overcome uh, these barriers, uh, educate them on how these connections are made between power, oppression, history, just the realities of the society we uh, live in. Uh, and then empower them to engage with their children uh, in ways that aren't just, uh, you know, having the talk, like there's one time we're going to sit the child down and give them everything, but rather build a relationship with their children uh, from, we call it from birth to crossing over, right? Building a relationship uh, where the child can really trust their adult. And I say they're adults because sometimes the parents just don't have capacity for this. But any adult, even one adult in a child's life can make a huge difference of having a trusting relationship where the child can come to them and have conversations, can, can be freely curious about their body, about other people's bodies, about questions that come up around sex uh, and sexuality. So uh, that's kind of our approach. It's a very broad, holistic approach that uh, we just see it as all interconnected. Yeah, and it's such an important conversation to have with children of all ages where they understand how to say no and how to say no to, to people that are in a dynamic that have some sort of power over them, over them. How to say no to your teacher, to your uncle to your aunt to your mother or father or older siblings these people seem to have a, a dynamic with the child that is very difficult for the child to understand and say no especially if you start including cultural elements to it where in some cultures you need to respect your elders at 
and that translates to you never say no to your elders and playing that balance between that cultural aspect and having that bodily autonomy is so important. Um, that That is such an important message. Um, so how can we teach our children? Um, starting with, at what age should we start talking to our kids about their own body autonomy, about the correct language to use with their bodies, about how to say no and all that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of times uh, the uh, question of, well, there, there's two things. One is uh, for a lot of folks, the idea of even uh, saying sex uh, and children in the same sentence is something that is unthinkable. Uh, and that's because sex as an idea, as a concept has become so limited to what you know we consider to be the procreative heterosexual kind of sex. sex. So, Part of uh, what we're trying to do at the HEAL project is to really broaden the idea of what sex is. So uh, if, you know, if you have a sex organ, sex is relevant to you, regardless of when you have sex, if you have sex, uh, if you need to be starting to getting to know you have this relationship you have with your own body. The fact that there is a sex organ that uh, does certain things uh, with different bodies, right? And that is true for uh, any child at any age. Uh, we are, we know that children uh, touch their genitals uh, starting in the womb. So from the very beginning, uh, that relationship has already begun. So uh, it's only a matter of understanding that, you know, even even an infant, I think uh, for a lot of people, um, from when they're before they have, you know, reached an age of being able to speak, we already absorb messages that touching our genitals uh, is something that is uh, shameful. It's something that is not okay. We should uh, hide it. You know, all of those messages get internalized from a very early age. And again, this isn't even intentional on the necessarily on the uh, part of parents. It's just part of the culture. Uh, so then, the question of age appropriateness is is asked quite a bit. Like, at what age do I tell my child such and such? Um, and so, generally speaking, what we tell folks is that nobody, if you have a good relationship with your child, nobody knows better when your child is ready for what information. And that's why we really focus on that relationship building aspect, because you know when your child, there, is, there are children who may not be ready for some information, even as teenagers, even as old teenagers, because they don't have that background information about, you know, their bodies. And other children, if you've had that relationship, if you've had their education and other conversations with them, they might be ready for more advanced conversations early on. But only, I think, someone close to the child, someone who has had those conversations would have the exact answer as to when is it appropriate to have certain conversations. But again, at any age, we could be teaching children that, you know, here is how we can do consent. Here is how we can give a good apology. Here is how we can uh, take a rejection. It's like these are things that a two-year-old can really start learning and, and responding to, right? Right. That's very important building those that base and those building blocks where you can start building that conversation and moving your mind away from it is a one every stage of your childhood conversation and more like a continuous process of learning with everyday items uh, like consent and rejection those are things that you can teach a, a kid with toys with 
playtime, with food, with a lot of different aspects that they are not necessarily in the sexual realm, but they are still those building blocks that is teaching that kid what how a boundary what a boundary looks like and how do you not cross it if somebody else set that boundary and how do you set your own and enforce it when someone is trying to cross that boundary yeah exactly and that's really that's the idea of expanding what sex really is at the core of it when we think about sex it is about human connection it's a form of human connection that happens to be very close and intimate even if it is casual sex you're still building a relationship with a human for however brief of a time so the skills necessary to have good sex are really we're talking about life skills necessary to build good human connection right and those are those invo- as you said include ha- learning how to set boundaries include uh, uh, in learning what our needs are how to communicate them how to uh, recognize our feelings and emotions as they come up and how to assess if it's safe for us to express those feelings so those are we see all of those as really just absolutely necessary life skills that in an ideal world every child would have in their uh, upbringing and their school curriculum from an early age yeah exactly um so what do you think parents often shy away from communicating with their children about their bodies their sexual expression their gender identity and their their sense of self Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think so far from uh, what we have learned doing this work and also uh, talking to parents, including some anonymous surveys we have done, uh, it seems like there is a lot of different barriers that comes up for parents. Uh, I think, uh, like I said before, for a lot of uh, parents, they kind of don't know where to start, right? It's like these conversations they may have never had uh, the kind of conversations around sex and sexuality that has been shame free or that has uh, had a, a kind of a open uh, attitude towards all sexualities and genders i mean a lot of these ideas first of all are very much evolving right like our collective understanding of what gender is has completely transformed even in the past 5 years uh, so it, it's you know if you're a working parent and you're not sitting around reading gender theory so it's very uh, it can be a lot of information uh, and then on the other hand there's a lot of i mean our cultures really we, we internalize so much around again what sex is and uh, we fear that uh, anything uh, discussed about sex with children even preparing them for the day of sex uh, means that we are just uh, pushing them into something terrible right and it's kind of uh, there's a there is this almost a paradox because uh, every parent i feel like wants their child to grow up and have a wonderful healthy romantic sexual relationship uh, and at the, on the other hand uh, they kind of aren't ready and, and can't give their child the tools necessary for doing so. I mean, if you compare it to like driving, you know, I remember even as a, as a very small child, uh, I would always, always get tips from my parents about like how a car works and uh, here's how, you know, the, the traffic signs are. So like by the time I was driving age, I just needed to, you know, I had some practice, I had some information. It wasn't like 
I turned uh, 18 and they were like, where I come from, you can drive when you're 18. <laughs> it wasn't like I turned 18 and they put me behind the car and be like, here you go. You're 18, now you're ready for this, right this second, go. Uh, so th that's one part of it. I think on the other hand, uh, there is definitely a lot of religious messaging that uh, prevents children, uh, prevents parents uh, from even going near a topic like sex, right? Uh, there's a lot of fear, even for very sex positive parents, there's this fear that if they discuss uh, sexuality openly with their children, then their children might share that with someone and then they might be in trouble, right? If the if the neighbor's kid, if the, their peers in the school hear that a child knows about this information, uh, there's, they might actually be in legal trouble for having, for example, discussed with their child, here is what sex is, here is how sex happens, here's what the body looks like. So there's a lot of layers that I think parents struggle with from uh, those who don't even want to touch the subject and those who are interested in actually tackling it. And I know I want to tie it back to um, the HEAL project. How can the HEAL project help these parents navigate all of this that we've been discussing, navigate these conversations and navigate this structure of teaching, of holistic teaching that they can provide their children? Yeah, so uh, a lot of our programs, uh, that's why we focus on education. We have, especially now that with COVID has started, um, our programs have entirely become online. Uh, we produced uh, different video projects where uh, these topics uh, we talk about. So for example, Pure Love Talks is uh, a talk show between Ignacio, the founder of the Heal Project and their daughter. Um, and uh, during these uh, conversations, they're 20 minute episodes, 20, 30 minute episodes. And their daughter is uh, is an adult now, has a child of her own now. Uh, and uh, they have conversations about what it was like for their daughter, Mandy, growing up uh, with Ignacio as, you know, a sex positive, queer, poly, kinky, transparent. What was that really like? You know, Ignacio teaching Mandy uh, all that she needed to know about uh, her body and boundaries and sexuality and uh, Mandy being kind of the one kid in school where everybody would go to to ask the questions so it's like it's a very it's very interesting and and they continue also showing what it's like now that for example there's an episode where Mandy is asking Ignacio about kink kink and BDSM what are dungeons like what is it all about as an adult right so uh, it's really modeling what do, what do these conversations uh, can look like? What are some strategies? What are some uh, techniques, tips? Uh, they share a lot of stories as to uh, how Ignacio navigated raising a teenager who sometimes just didn't want to talk to them about anything, right? There's a lot of challenges of being a parent. So that's one part of it. Uh, we also have a lot of uh, programs and work with organizations that uh, work with families. So uh, they bring us to have these conversations in uh, healing circles and in uh, workshops and lectures and gatherings that uh, where we can have these conversations more openly um, about uh, what we can do. And also our uh, ongoing project that uh, we are really excited about, we're calling it a toolkit right now, it's a working title. Uh, and the toolkit is going to be a set of um, topics, strategies, tips, games, stories, where we're gonna break down how to actually do the work of relationship building with children, 
had to overcome uh, shame and guilt around certain topics, had to bring in the context of, uh, you know, systematic racism, ableism, classism, uh, gender binary into these conversations with children, had to take advantage of different moments that we see in a movie around us in family relationships, connections to bring up conversations about sex, sexuality and relationships. Uh, so there's a lot of different venues that we're working on and we continue to produce uh, media uh, content that can discuss these topics. Great. I, I can't wait to see the, the toolkit working title. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so another of the main missions of the HEAL project is intersectional sexual liberation. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to dig a little deep into that. So can you describe what that means for the, pro the HEAL project? Yes, thank you so much for asking about that. Uh, sexual liberation is something that uh, both Ignacio and I feel very strongly about. And um, we actually, right now, we are running a sexual liberation campaign where we're, we're asking uh, folks to share what sexual liberation means to them and also share stories of uh, where they think, how they think they, uh, sexual liberation happened for them. Uh, so or how they think it can happen, you know, even, even as an imaginative. Uh, so sexual liberation, I'll just give you my personal definition. I often say sexual liberation to me is everything that feminism failed to give me. So sexual liberation to me is really at the core of what I see liberation to be because sex and sexuality uh, has been uh, stigmatized and uh, scrutinized as kind of the worst thing that you can do. At the core of sexual liberation, I see the bodily autonomy, the agency to be able to say as anybody, right, as uh, to say what I want to do with my body, how I want to do it, to claim pleasure or not. Uh, and when you look at the intersectional perspective to that, uh, the more marginalized you are, the more you're told what you can do with your body. So, uh, when I think about sexual liberation, I want to see the most marginalized people having access to everything they need to claim ownership over their body. I see it as body liberation. And that's why also with childhood sexual abuse, if you look at it, unfortunately, the most marginalized children are suffering the most from childhood sexual abuse. So the day that the most marginalized children aren't suffering anymore. It's a day that we don't have racism anymore. It's a day that we don't have classism and capitalism and ableism anymore because these are all connected. So sexual liberation to me is, you know, sadly, feminism was supposed to be the intersectional idea that gave us the, the body liberation. But it has been co-opted so many times that, you know, Ivanka Trump is a feminist now. But... In my ideal world, sexual liberation is going to be at the very last goal that we achieve, the day where we have actually achieved true liberation, all of us together. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. And, and it's, it is very important to understand that things like childhood sexual abuse happen more often on the communities that don't have all the resources because they have been oppressed communities for so long. And that is so important to understand when we're trying to advocate for children is understanding that, like you said before, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's a lot of circumstances around their family circle, their culture, their, their city where they live in that affects how likely is that child to suffer uh, 
from any kind of abuse, including um, sexual abuse. And that's very important to understand. Um, I look forward to that, pro to seeing that project come to life too. Uh, yeah. So how can adults continue healing and thriving after experiencing uh, childhood sexual abuse? I know your, your project helps a lot with that too. Yes, and thank you so much for uh, asking about that. Yes, absolutely. So uh, the other piece of our work, we really look at ourselves as an intergenerational pro uh, project. And uh, what we mean by that is that, so uh, we work a lot with survivors, uh, especially childhood sexual abuse survivors, because uh, we really believe that there is a knowledge, there's a wisdom uh, that uh, survivors of childhood sexual abuse hold right that can be really helpful in uh, ending the cycle of violence and the healing the healing process of the trauma is is a is a big piece of that uh, unfortunately so one thing like childhood sexual abuse i think oftentimes gets branded as a childhood problem but really it's not i mean those children grow up become adults so like in statistics right now cdc says one out of every five uh, children uh, suffer from CSA by the time that they turn 18. And these are conservative estimates. So you can only imagine that how many of us as adults at any given age have suffered from CSA. For a lot of folks, even identifying that experience can be a huge burden because by nature, as children, we have faulty memories. We have, uh, we can't remember things very clearly. And also as children, uh, we can have unclear memories, but so it's, we become adults and we have a difficulty even remembering what happened. So we help adult survivors a lot of times with, first of all, just figuring out, identifying their experiences, more, most importantly, their feelings about this. Unfortunately, with childhood sexual abuse, there has been a lot of campaigns that uh, have denied experiences of adults who have come out as survivors because they have. They're like, oh, well, you were a child. You, you can be sure, right? So uh, a lot of it is it's helping survivors understand the process, understand how it has impacted them, and uh, work with them to go through uh, the process of understanding the journey of healing. And again, I call it the journey because, again, both Ignacio and I as survivors, uh, we don't see it as something that, okay, here it is. We're going to go heal now. And we've healed now, we're done, good. Now let's go do something else with our lives. It's really a process of growth. It's a process of uh, managing survivorship, uh, managing the impact of trauma on a daily basis. Uh, and so, like I said, it, a lot of our programs, we have other programs that cater towards survivors, uh, including workshops and lectures. Uh, our most popular program is called Sexy Survivor, where for three hours we uh, dig deep into exactly those questions of like, how do we actually begin that journey of healing now that uh, we have a recognition of survivorship. So I'm excited to also let you know that we are right now working on producing a new talk show uh, where Ignacio and I uh, are talking about our own experiences of survivorship and also working with survivors. We share a lot of stories. Uh, the series is called Caution Unrestricted, uh, and this is uh, meant to be for survivors who are a little bit further along in their journeys. We use a lot of explicit language. We share a lot of trigger warning stories. Uh, and. Uh, 
we are sharing these because uh, we think there's a gap in having these real conversations about what's really happening. Uh, so our very first series is called Bad Survivors. And uh, we have five episodes in the series where we talk about you know, survivors who are in denial, uh, survivors who enable, uh, survivors um, who harm. Uh, so just all these categories of who we think is a bad survivor, who we think is a good survivor, and how they came to be. Survivors who have too much sex. So, uh, so I'm really excited. Uh, I'm working right now on editing them. We have filmed them. Uh, so this is going to be another video project that will be releasing soon. Wonderful. And uh, where can we find out when that a video series is out? Like, where can we go to find out when it's out? <laughs> yeah, so everything, all of our videos on our YouTube channel, uh, The Heal Project YouTube channel is youtube.com slash C slash The Heal Project, I think. <laughs> or you can also find our YouTube channel through our website or our social media. Uh, and uh, Pure Love Talks is on there. We have Connecting the Dots, which is another video project where uh, connections are made between uh, media content, TV series, movies, uh, what's going on in the larger society and childhood sexual abuse. Uh, we have other video projects. All of that is in our YouTube channel. Uh, I will be uh, releasing some uh, teasers and trailers for Caution Unrestricted uh, this month. Uh, and I'm really aiming to have it uh, released by the end of the year. Wonderful. And we are recording this in November in case someone, November 2020, in case someone is listening in the future. Um, so it will be released in December 2020. <laughs> Yes, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so talking a little bit more about um, adults that are survivors of CSA, um, one other thing that uh, the HEAL Project helps with is talking about trauma and not shying away from suppressing it. Um, and I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit more why that's so important. Yeah, so uh, again, we see trauma itself and the process of healing as also an intersectional uh, problem that requires an intersectional approach. Uh, so uh, we uh, focus a lot on opening up those conversations. How does trauma impact us? What does it look like uh, when we suffer from trauma? Uh, for myself, uh, I know I was working with, um, you know, um, trauma for a very long time with people. I knew all the symptoms of trauma and every time I'd be very kind of shocked. Like, oh, interesting. Like I kind of fit the bill. It was very interesting that, but I never, I, it took me a really long time to actually identify myself uh, as a survivor of trauma. So I think a lot of times um, the conversation about trauma has become limited to this idea of like the big T trauma. You know, we, we can think of this particular event that has happened in our lives. Uh, and then we remember, you know, we were this jolly, go happy-go-lucky person before and then trauma happened. And then afterwards, uh, we just, you know, kind of are depressed and sad. So this is one story. This is one version of how things happen to some people. But then there is a small t trauma, and that's the trauma of uh, suffering, being in um, an abusive household as a child, right? Uh, suffering from unwanted touch that may be here and there happening, but you just don't know. You can't you can't contextualize what why it's wrong, what what's why you feel bad. Um, there is a lot of the childhood trauma. The problem with it is that because it happens at a time where our brains are still forming, where our concept of what is normal is shaping, we don't have that, oh, this happened and then now I'm different. 
it just shifts what normal is to us. So a lot of the survivors of childhood trauma grow up with a different normal, which is why, as uh, we believe, and it also has been shown statistically, if you're a survivor of childhood sexual trauma uh, or childhood emotional trauma, you're much more likely to experience sexual violence as an adult. You're much more likely to end up in a domestic abuse situation as an adult because your normal has shifted. You never, the time when you were supposed to be learning about boundaries and your body, how to say no or how to take a no or uh, just what is wrong, what is right, right? That time you were, you were taught something else. You, you learned something else about the world and your relationship with people around you. So unless something happens, you bring that with you to your adult relationships. So a lot of the times when we work with survivors of trauma as an adult, we look for those patterns uh, of looking at the relationships and seeing how that happens. Because again, as we know, sexual violence, including childhood sexual abuse, most cases happen in domestic cases. Right. We just love to think of it as, you know, as strangers and the online predators. That happens too, but that's such a small sliver of the bigger problem. So if you look at sexual violence as a domestic issue, then it's no surprise that a lot of uh, survivors of childhood trauma grow up, end up in relationships that are basically a reenactment of the abusive relationship they had as a child with their caregivers or, or adult who was abusive towards them. Uh, so these are very complicated ideas. These are very complicated issues. And so it definitely takes a lot of time. It's definitely uh, something that we encourage folks to engage with, but also with a lot of patience, with a lot of acceptance, with a lot of compassion, and also to do so in community. This isn't really the kind of work that we can go sit in a room and do by ourselves, even though working with ourselves is an important piece of it, uh, which is why we try to offer community coaching sessions. We try to get folks to share their stories. Uh, we have guest survivors who come and share their stories because hearing other people's stories, the complexities of just surviving sexual abuse uh, is such a complicated problem and, and the way it impacts us and the way it shows up can be uh, really not a straightforward, not linear at all, right? Um, so having those conversations, we, we try to just make space for that. Right. And that, that is so important. Um, also, I know um, the HEAL project also helps with sexual impression, uh, sexual expression and embracing your sexual desires as a adult that is a survivor of CSA. And that's such an another important part of your adulthood that needs to be reshaped after uh, surviving CSA. Um, can you expand more on that? Absolutely. Uh, yes, I think um, a lot of times, uh, you know, we really think of sex uh, as something that can be healing by itself, right? I mean, sex, like anything else, like any human behavior, can be a lot of different things. It can be a source of trauma. It can be a source of abuse, but it can be a source of pleasure and joy and healing. Um, it really is about our relationship with it. So, uh, we try to, uh, as Ignacio very openly talks about it, and so is my own experience, uh, King Can BDSM has been a tool that a lot of survivors have been using in their journey for healing. And uh, having this space, so in a lot of, uh, for folks uh, who 
want more information on this, uh, King can BDSM, again, can be a lot of things, uh, but the idea is that you create this safe consensual container where you can uh, express your desires, you can get your sexual needs met, uh, you can find partners in which uh, you negotiate and communicate openly and honestly, and uh, and have uh, what whatever you think you need at the given time, make it happen. So this is there's a wide range of practices within that, uh, from spanking to getting tied up to role playing to age play to consensual non-consent. So there's a whole world out there of uh, sexual expression uh, that uh, we talk about it under the umbrella of kink and BDSM, um, and really. What I think I love about kink and BDSM is that a lot of folks in the community are already very much familiar with the amount of communication uh, that it takes to have good, healthy, functional sexual relationships. Um, and that's beautiful. And again, I want to emphasize, I'm not saying that everybody who's kinky or is in the BDSM community is wonderfully aware or practicing uh, consent and communication. Uh, abuse definitely happens in kink and BDSM community as well. Uh, but I just don't think it's any higher than the larger society. So uh, so we try to be really open about that. We also talk about uh, non-monogamy uh, as well as monogamy, just different forms of uh, relationship and making, forming relationships. You know, we don't uh, just, we really think that uh, in, in a sexually liberated world, uh, people should be free to really decide what form of relationship works for them. Uh, we talk about uh, different forms of uh, queer relationship, being transgender, non-binary. We also are open about uh, sex work, uh, that for some you know, survivors, sex work has been healing. Uh, for uh, others, sex work is just like any other type of work, right? We, we open up those conversations. Uh, unfortunately, sex work itself and uh, childhood sexual abuse, child trafficking, they get confused as they get talked about in media quite a bit. So we really try to have those conversations very openly and honestly. Pornography is another one. We talk about pornography very openly. There's, there are kind of a lot of, there are organizations who try to connect, um, you know, sexual violence to the existence of pornography. So we take issue with that. We don't think that that's really the case. Uh, pornography is, again, is a huge industry. There's a lot of different things happening in it. There's a lot of sexual violence in it, but it's no more than any other industry, right? And there's also a lot of healing that can happen within that as well. Um, and so we really talk about the entire range of human sexual expression. We don't shy away from anything. We don't blame one uh, part of human sexual behavior for sexual violence, uh, but just try to make those connections as openly as possible and also stay open to conversation. We invite folks to, uh, to challenge us, to argue with us uh, on uh, how they see these connections. That's great because the path that someone takes is not the same path as a second person would take. And there's, there's many paths to, to healing depending on what were your specific circumstances and what is your lived experience so far and what do you need as a, as a human to walk, walk through that healing process and continue walking that, that, that path. So I, that's part of why I love the, the work that you're doing because it helps you move through that. Um, is there any other advice that you would like to give uh, CSA survivors and their 
um, partners or their other relationships that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, uh, well, I don't know if I can give any advice to because it's really, as you said, the journeys are uh, so personal. And the best I can say is just uh, being, uh, you know, the idea of self-love is talked a lot about. I actually, that doesn't sit well with me. Um, I finally figured out that I'm much more okay with the idea of self-acceptance. Because when I tried self-love, uh, when I couldn't give myself love, I started hating myself. So for not being able to give myself love, I was like, this isn't working well. So I started just accepting uh, whatever was happening as I started in my own healing journey. Uh, you know, there are going to be days when uh, nothing is working. There are going to be days when all, everything I've learned about uh, managing triggers and uh, activation, all of that, it just feels like I just can't get there. And that's okay. I try to just just accept that. This is going to be one of those days <laughs> when I am activated, uh, when uh, stuff is coming up for me. And uh, I trust that if I just give myself a little time, if I just accept that I'm having this experience, I'm going through it, uh, tomorrow will be a different day. Uh, so this is what has worked for me. So I would say uh, I would encourage everyone because, again, at this point, uh, looking at our society, I think everybody has suffered from some form of trauma, unfortunately, right? We live in a society where we are constantly being traumatized. We're constantly in the process of understanding what's happening to us. We're constantly, uh, power is constantly taken away from us. Uh, so uh, I encourage everyone to uh, try to understand these relationships and how they're impacted by them. Uh, to take a take a good look at their own journey, uh, the patterns that have happened for them, and then wherever you land, however you land, that's fine. There is no right answer. There's no wrong answer. There's no place you have to be. It's just wherever you want to go, right? Um, so it's just taking some of that pressure off. I feel like with a lot of a lot of times with survivors of sexual violence, there is kind of this pressure to just like heal, heal as soon as you can, heal faster, but really like they're, 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 it's, it's, it's a journey and, and it's about uh, how you're doing it and, and how much you can accept yourself and be just fine with however you are as you're doing it. Thank you, that's great. Um, so uh, we're almost at the end of our time. Uh, I just wanna give you a little bit of space to do any plugs that you want. Um, Give us the website of the Heal Project again and all the other social media that you have and everything. Yeah, thank you. So you can find us uh, on our website, heal2end.org, and that's heal, H E A L, the number two, and end, E N D. So heal2end.org. And we're also on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter uh, at heal2end. Again, heal number two end. We uh, post almost uh, on a daily basis. We uh, post uh, articles on CSA and sexual violence and survivorship. Uh, we post, we have a Tuesday, something called Tuesday Q&A, where uh, folks send their questions uh, anonymously. And we answer the questions about uh, CSA, survivorship, raising children, all sorts of questions that come up uh, as we do this work. Uh, we, so we have a lot, of, a lot of content that you can check out. Definitely check out our um, 
YouTube channel where we have a lot of different videos. Uh, the, I think the earliest series that is on there is called Outing CSA, where uh, a number of folks just uh, are coming out publicly as a survivor of CSA. And I love that series because they're short videos, very short videos, like a minute or two. And it's extremely powerful to be hearing from an adult uh, and all their wonderful things they've done with their life and who they are to publicly coming out and breaking that silence and secret of being a survivor of CSA. And lastly, I would also encourage folks to uh, check out this article that Ignacio and I wrote recently about policing and CSA. It's called, Police Can't Save Children from Sexual Abuse, But We Must. And uh, in that article that was published on racebader.com, uh, Ignacia and I argue that, uh, you know, as with defund the police and all the conversations that have come up around that subject, uh, a lot of times sexual violence, especially childhood sexual abuse, gets used as a wedge issue. That we need police, we need policing in our communities because then what would uh, survivors do? What would victims do? And so we make the argument, and we with a lot of uh, uh, resources and a lot of links, uh, we show that actually, unfortunately, police is just not never uh, was a structure that is not meant to be uh helping us get rid of the problem of csa right i mean police uh, efforts are right now focused on those online predators which as we talked about is a very small part of the problem uh, csa is something much larger uh, and police just does not have the uh, capacity to do it, let alone the very fact that most co communities of color and marginalized communities don't even have the trust in police. Like they're not helping these communities address a problem like sexual violence. So I encourage folks to check out that article um, and also to read what we suggest, what we are bringing as what we think can be helpful uh, instead of policing uh, to address CSA. Wonderful. So we'll have all that linked in our show notes too. Um, if someone was driving and couldn't write down any of that. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for joining us already. Uh, this was a wonderful conversation and I hope we can have you back at some point. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it was a great conversation. I also hope to be back. Virgin Territories is a podcast by the CSPH, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults. To learn more about the CSPH, please visit our website at thecsph.org. There you can sign up for our newsletter, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider making a donation to support our work.